Hi, this is Derwin James, and you listen to the Chargers Podcast Network. Hey guys, Chris Avery with you on a week three edition of Chargers Weekly here on the new Chargers Podcast Network. Coming up, we're going to get this week's opposing view from Hall of Fame writer John McClain of the Houston Chronicle. Will Brinson of CBS Sports also joins me. He's going to pick some of the biggest games in week three. You'll also hear from Spiro Ditas of CBS Sports. Spiro is going to be in the booth this Sunday with Adam Archuleta for Texans Chargers. But first, Chargers radio analyst Daniel Jeremiah joined me for a preview. Here with Daniel Jeremiah and DJ, not the result we wanted. The yeah. Motown, uh, a lot of opportunities to win that game. I, I think if one thing would have gone their way in the third quarter, they probably would have won it. Yeah, you kind of you really look at uh, man. There's a whole host of plays, but you're talking about uh, you know a, a fumble into the end zone at the one, an interception in the end zone, two missed field goals, two touchdowns called back. I mm. mean, that's that's six different plays go one way or the other, and uh, if they come the Chargers' way, then you end up getting a win. But you know, it's it's uh, it was interesting being with the team after the game and then traveling with them as we did. I thought it was a, a veteran team that had it in perspective. Where you know, this stuff like this unfortunately happens. You flush it. You've got a big uh, AFC game coming up this week against Houston, and you got to get back right back on schedule. So I think this is a type of a loss in Detroit. If you're a younger team, man, this could linger a little bit. Might end up costing you, you know, a couple more games down the road. But I thought this team showing some maturity, saying, "Hey, we got, we know what we need to clean up. It's, it's on us to do that." Um, and I thought it was a, it was really interesting to see how they handled it. Yeah, Coach Lynn even said, "It's like you're going to have one of these games at some point." Glad we got that one out of the way. We hope that that's the last one, yeah. and you learn from it. And you mentioned the AFC games. I mean, not only you got Houston on Sunday, the next five are AFC games. Yeah. So it's a great opportunity to try to get. Nobody knows more about tiebreakers than the Chargers. We discussed that last week. So winning these AFC games is huge. Yeah, starting with Houston. And Houston's an interesting team. They played an instant classic week one against the Saints. uh, Barely beat the Jags 13-12. to They only put up 13 points. And defenses have been getting to Deshaun Watson. It's interesting when I, I just watched a tape uh, yesterday and today, and I saw the sacks, you know, the sack numbers, and I thought, okay, well, they're still having issues. Well, when you look at it, like especially this game against Jacksonville, I believe they gave up four sacks. All four of them were from secondary uh, defenders. You're talking about linebackers or, or members of secondary safeties. So this was not, you know, you know, beaters like physical beats where your offensive lineman just physically got whooped by somebody up front. Didn't really happen in this game. I thought Tunsil played uh, really well for them at left tackle. They've got Titus Howard, the rookie who started next to him at left guard, was a little bit up and down, but I think is an improvement in talent. Uh, I don't think they're that bad up front. I really don't. And um, what got to them was just some different pressure looks and line not necessarily sliding the right way, and that's coming from either the quarterback or the center in terms of how they set their protection. Um, that was what they had issue with with some kind of complicated looks that Jacksonville threw at them. That's why I think it'll be interesting to see what Coach Bradley does this week. You know, you've got a team that's really built where you can rush four if you just want to rush four. But I wouldn't be surprised if you see, you know, Desmond King get involved in some blitz packages this week and and try and confuse this front. The Clemson connection. How about They're this? everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah. You got Watson, Mike Williams, DeAndre Hopkins, Arteva Scott. I think you got a couple defenders. It's like uh, Clemson. You got Reader. Yeah, you got Reader. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool to see. I was just looking at like Mike Williams' stats his final year and, mm-hmm. and all the plays that he and Watson had. Uh, it's pretty special. Yeah, it's uh, and you're not going to find better guys. I, I'll tip my cap to Dabo because I've got a chance to 
not not only get to know Mike and the guys here with the Chargers, but getting a chance to know DeAndre Hopkins throughout the process and a bunch of the other players. They're all they're all great kids. They're passionate about football, ultra ultra competitive, and uh, it's just interesting to see them all having success now at the NFL level and. I was joking the other day on social media that you cannot watch, I feel like you can't watch an NFL game without seeing either a Clemson wide receiver or an Ohio State defensive back. I mean, it's like every team has it's one. wide receiver you and DBU, right? Unbelievable. It really is. And, you know, Mike, he really toughed it out. And yes, he, he did. He had uh, three big catches, none bigger than that, that 47-yard connection with Phillip to end the first half. But Keenan Allen, what a start oh. to the season he's having. And you put some stuff on your Instagram, just like clinic clinic tape from number 13 it's cool you know there's a lot of people on social media really on the instagram platform um i get followed by a lot of you know high school players high school coaches college players college coaches and i love it when you you put up something you know that resonates because in the comments they tag their players right if it's a coach high school, you know and it's just like hey this is a good little tool watch this guy look what he's doing look how he's teaching uh, tape it's really teaching tape it really is that's the term and remember so those pete maravich uh, yes uh, basketball videos I, so i used to have see if you remember the pete maravich one i used to have the steve alford all-american workout did you ever see that one i i, I it it was vaguely, a vhs tape we had i i watched it religiously you had to tape a broom to a folding chair which i did <laughs> to go out in my driveway to shoot, and it was you know, working, you know, just kind of going off the key from from left to right and shooting over the top of that chair with the broom, getting used to a, a defender right in your face. It's, so. it's a little different now, right? Yeah. This is like the 2019 Pete Maravich tape. Yes, Keenan Allen on Instagram. Gosh, that's the nicest thing. Courtesy of the That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. Uh, <laughs> no, I I love it, I, and uh, you know, there's lots of other people that put stuff out there, and, and as much tape as you watch, somebody else has seen something you didn't see. Baldy does a great job with that. Baldy does a great job. Um, so getting a chance to. To, uh, to, to study great players and what makes them great. It's, uh, it's a reason uh, why some guys are, uh, you know, continue to grow and learn. They don't think they know it all. But Keenan Allen, man, if I said if you're an NFL receiver, college receiver, high school receiver, that's a good guy to study. This game, I think, was ultra frustrating because the defense played pretty good. When, yeah. when, when you allow a team 13 points, you should probably get win a couple the football of picks. Game, yeah. Get a couple of picks, and then the offense moved the football. Yeah, right. The the running game between Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. Justin Jackson is picking up big chunks of yardage when oh, he touches yeah. the ball. DJ. Every single time, you know, he's unfortunately had the one, the one call back on the long touchdown, which I don't think he even really needed, but. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I, I love the fact that they're so decisive. And this is a team, I, I talked about this the other day, when you can run to the perimeter in the NFL right now, you're going to find success. Because, I, you know, I joked, not joked, but it's a, truly a fact. Good offenses are going to try and force little guys to tackle and big guys to cover. And with this offense, getting these running backs to the perimeter, corners, they, 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 he's running through them uh, or making a mess. They're, they're getting to the perimeter and making those second and third level defenders Really looks silly with the way that what they're doing. The versatility of the running backs too. I think you put up a play of Austin. Oh, the hitch and go! Oh my, it was I think a thirty-five yard gain in the first half. It was incredible, and it was it was an interesting play because uh, you had uh, the formation was spread, and you had press man coverage on everybody except for Austin. So I'm looking at that, saying, okay, as a quarterback here, that's my soft corner. So if I've got a hitch, if we've got kind of a uh, semi-mirrored route here. That's that's the soft corner that you want to go at. It was actually Tracy Walker, who's a very athletic safety. 
um, who was out there over Eckler. And then they, they ran a hitch and go. And it was like, oh, my gosh, you couldn't. It was a beautiful play call, beautiful play design. And then Eckler sold the heck out of it, uh, got his shoulders turned, settled, and then exploded uh, right past Tracy Walker. And, look, there's not a lot of running backs that have that type of route running savvy and then track the ball as naturally as he did. I mean, he's a weapon. Yeah, he really is. And the weapon on the Texans is Hopkins. We spoke yes. about him earlier. What do you do to defend a guy like this? I mean, he, he's he's almost unguardable. It's just like you got to just stay in front of him and do your best. <laughs> well, it's it's the challenge is finding the football because you can be in great position there, and and he still has the trust of his quarterback. They're going to give him opportunities down the field. It comes down to you know, really playing. We talk about playing the hands, locate the football, play the hands. Um, it's a very, very difficult thing to do because his catch radius is ridiculous. His concentration, his strength, um, he is a he is a darn near impossible matchup for everybody in the league. So you got to know he's going to make some plays. Um, you you mentioned you know trying to limit it. I guess you just try and say okay, let's make tackles. Don't let him get us after the catch. Um, and then you got to find a way. Don't worry about picking balls off. You just got to try and find a way to poke some balls away down the field. Then we kind of saw. A tale of two games, right? The first game, the Chargers had three penalties. I think nine yeah. in week two. Costly penalties. Especially on a road. But regardless of where you are, uh, cleaning up those penalties. Coach Len always talks about the things you can control, yeah. right? Penalties, turnovers, things like that. Um, if they can just play a cleaner brand of football, they go a long way towards winning. Yeah, you know, look, even with all the injuries, this is still a very talented team. And we saw it, you know, this offense move the ball up and down the field. We saw the pass rush get rolling. The pieces are still here to be very successful. You just can't have the self-inflicted wounds, the penalties, the turnovers. Um, and those are things well within the control, you know. So you can clean those things up. And I think the Chargers, when you look at the way the schedule lays out, have a chance to get on a little bit of a run here. Yeah. Finally, what matchup are you looking at on Sunday? You're going to have eyes on that you think they decide it. Well, you know, I, I'm fascinated, you know, watching this Houston defense. Zach Cunningham, um, I think, is one of the better off-the-ball linebackers in the NFL right now. He's 6'4", he's, he's long, he's tremendous range, sideline to sideline, um, and does a good, nice job in coverage. And we saw last week he was very, very effective as a blitzer. So, to me, when we talk about the Texans having trouble on offense, picking up different stunts and movements and blitzes, and I look at this Texans defense with their second-level players or outstanding rushers, I think, you know, who's going to have the better pass rush in this game? And it not might not necessarily be from the down four. It's going to be uh, coming from, from that second level. Which team can get home, which team can protect, I think is going to decide the game. Awesome, man. We'll look for that. DJ, appreciate it. Thanks, bud. All right, to get this week's Opposing View presented by Mercury Insurance, Please be joined by one of the best football writers in this business. John McLean of the Houston Chronicle joins me. John, it's a real privilege to talk to you. How you doing, sir? I couldn't be better. Looking forward to coming to California. Never, I've never had a bad trip to California. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the stadium. Because in my 43 years of covering the NFL, I've never covered a game at a stadium this small. And I know it's got good sidelines and easy to get around. I'm eager to see how many people from the Texans come out there to the game. So I'm fired up about it. And uh, I look for it to be a close game, just like the Chargers and Texans have played in each of the first two weeks. Absolutely. And it's going to be a heck of a match if you got Deshaun Watson versus Phillip Rivers. I guess, John, we'll just start with this. What are the Texans saying about coming to Los Angeles to face the Chargers? I just set out. I'm doing a long thing with Jalila Dye for Friday and how special the game is for him and how what it was like to go through the move. He went through a situation going from San Diego to Carson, like 
I went through with the Oilers when they moved to Nashville. I know what it's like for the fans and the players. And uh, so uh, it's it's uh, Bill O'Brien said today they've gone over or will go over everything about this game. The fact there's a soccer match the night before about the grass and the possibilities of what they'll face. And then, of course, the stadium itself. So I think anybody, when you're playing somewhere for the first time, it's got a special appeal to it. No doubt. And the Texans, coming off a year where they won the AFC South, played a, an instant classic in week one against the Saints, uh, a close one against Jacksonville in week two. Uh, what do you make of what you've seen out of this Texas team through the first two weeks, John? They've added a lot of new players. For instance, they, they haven't had the same offensive line going back to preseason. They've had injuries. They've had changes. They've had trades. Like, it's misleading. Deshaun Watson's been sacked 10 times. Four were his fault. One was a tight end's fault. So, really, the offensive linemen have been responsible for five. And it's an ongoing process. They've got a lot of talent now up front, but it's got to gel. You can't gel without playing together. They made changes at corner. They cut their punter punter and signed another punter that they had in training camp, cut Trevor Daniel, signed Brian Anger. And so Bill O'Brien is the general manager without the title, and he's the coach. He's all-powerful. He's the one making these moves. He's got a 23-person personnel department working with him. He's got a cap specialist, contract negotiator. He has a lot of people advising him, but it's the first time in his six years he has been in charge, and he's not afraid to make moves. They they uh, cut their cor- slot corner, Aaron Colvin, after one game in which he was awful at New Orleans, and they made a change there. So uh, they're in a not a state of confusion, but in a state of change. It's kind of like there's musical chairs. And the key players, Watson, I wrote earlier, he is first year as a starter when he got hurt and blew out his new knee in practice. He had one game in which he didn't throw a touchdown pass. Last year, he didn't. He had one game where he didn't throw a touchdown pass. This year, he's had one game, Jacksonville, where he didn't throw a touchdown pass. So that's telling me he'll bounce back. Another interesting thing, people here panic because J.J. Watt doesn't have a sack in the first two games. Well, he hasn't had a sack in the first two games since 2015. Last year, he waited until the third one and finished with 16. So I wrote a thing today on our website about people need to just take a chill pill, take a deep (laughs) sigh of relief, and just let it play out. That's right. And there's a lot of pass rush specialists in this game when you talk about Watt, and then you got Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram on the other side. But I want to go back to Watt because his brother Derek, this will be the first time that they have actually faced off. I think J.J. was hurt the last time that the Chargers and the Texans faced off. Uh, what's J.J. saying about facing his brother Derek? He talked about it about 30 minutes ago, about what it means to him, how special it is. Those three brothers, along with T.J., are really really close. I think they have a group text that they text constantly. And uh, what we want to see is when uh, Derek has a lead blocker, maybe Eckler's running to that side, Derek is leading him, and Derek has got to take on Big Brother 
And they, JJ said today, they used to take on each other all the time, but he's usually with hockey sticks up in Wisconsin. <laughs> and JJ is four years older than Derek is, so he was always bigger. So I can't wait to see that one, or maybe even JJ runs a stunt and gets in on a, a rushing Philip Rivers, and Derek steps up to block him. It's going to be fun to watch. That's going to be fun to watch. There's there's some subplots to this game too. The the Clemson connection too between Mike Williams and DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson. What's Deshaun saying about going up against a a team in in which his one of his biggest targets in college is on the other side? Well, he had nothing but great things to say about Mike Williams, and of course, being a quarterback and being from the East Coast, he's from Northern Georgia. You know, everybody knows about Phillip Rivers. You know, it's it's amazing when we saw last year Watson get sacked 62 times, get knocked down 132 more times, and only missed one play because he thought the first half was over. And it reminds you just how remarkable Phillip Rivers' durability has been, not just his play, of course, but the way he's been able to stay healthy except for that knee scope in 2007 playoffs. So, uh, I am amazed at guys like Rivers and Eli Manning that Eli's never missed a game because of a injury, and he won't now because he's been benched. But uh, stability and durability quarterback are so important, and, and Rivers epitomizes that, and Watson certainly respects it. As far as Clemson, they've got four players here for Clemson, including their starting nose tackle, D.J. Reader, who's a good player. And they just like guys that come from South Carolina. That's right. You know, going back to the quarterback, John, you know, in all your years covering the league, I think this past weekend is just a great reminder and just a, an appreciation for guys like Phillip Rivers when you see Eli move to the bench and you see Drew Brees get hurt and you see Big Ben out for the season. Uh, it just makes you appreciate just the toughness of these quarterbacks. I, I hope Rivers plays into his 40s. I'm assuming that he wants to. He's got a lot of mouths to feed. And I think the NFL's better off if he does. I want to see Big Ben come back stronger than ever, play into his 40s like Brady, Drew Brees, same way, because it's a privilege watching the quarterbacks, not just the older guys, but the young guns coming up to take their place, like Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. And, and, uh, and I hope, it's I hope that these guys can keep playing. The key is, of course, to stay healthy. And then a lot of it, it's just luck. Mm. And you think about all the times Rivers has been hit, and he's a tough guy and he plays hard, but a lot of it is luck, and I'm sure he'd be the first to say so. When we look at this matchup, John, what do you think the biggest challenge is that this Chargers offense poses to a pretty good Houston defense? To keep J.J. Watt off of Rivers, Watt came, he got shut out. Goose eggs in the first game at New Orleans for the first time in his career. No assistant tackles, no solos, no nothing. Not deflections, anything. And I know that bothered him. And then he played a much better game. Came close to three sacks, but the rookie for, for Jacksonville, Gardner Minshew, is very mobile, and he got away, and he knows where Phillip's going to be. Phillip's going to be in the pocket. He's a pocket passer. He knows he can move around if he has to move around, but we know where he makes his living. So they got to worry about Watt. And across from Watt, Whitney Merciless is in his eighth year, 
Whitney had to move into the strong side when Jadeveon Clowney was there. And when they traded Clowney, Merciless got to go back to his previous position. And he has three sacks, and he scores two turnovers that set up touchdowns, including one that was the winning touchdown against Jacksonville. So the Chargers have to worry about him and why, just like the Texans have to worry about Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. It's going to be fun to watch those guys and to see how they try to go about it. And uh, I'm I'm really fired up to watch the passing games. Oh, yeah, me as well. And we know about all the household names, too, right? We know about Hopkins and Watson and J.J. Watt. Who are a few Texans who may not necessarily be household names that Chargers fans should have eyes on? They have a tight end, a backup named Jordan Aikens, third-round pick last year, who doesn't have a lot of catches, but when he does, he makes good plays. He's like an H-back. He moves around a lot. Darren Fells is the starter, but he's going to catch. Aikens will catch two or three passes. And Kenny Stills, who came from Miami, has already made some big plays. They've got Hopkins, Will Fuller, and Kenny Stills as their top three receivers. But every once in a while, they like to throw it to Jordan Aikens. And he's a guy to keep an eye on. And a defensive player to keep an eye on, I think, is uh, Zach Cunningham, inside linebacker. He's coming off nine solo tackles, one sack game. He's good in coverage and probably just coming off the best game of his career. So he's a guy for the Chargers to watch out for on defense. John, final thing for you. What do you think is going to decide this one? We look at the schedule in week three. I know there's a lot of football to be played, but you look at tiebreaker situations at the end of the year. This could come into play. You never know. Chargers, Texans. It could be. And uh, I'm assuming like a bad hangover, the Chargers threw it all up in Detroit. (laughs) And they're not going to play like that again. <laughs> yeah, The mistakes they made are just so uncharger-like. And then they have Rivers throw his only interception in the end zone. I know the Texans think we can't hope that's going to happen again. And I would imagine because of that, it's like the Chargers are got over that hangover. Now they're refreshed and the Texans will get the very best they have to offer. But both these teams have played such close games that have come down to the end where they had both have had a chance to be 2-0, and and they blew it. So I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll come down to a field goal, and I'm picking a charge. We got a treat in September in Los Angeles. John McClain, Houston Chronicle. It was such a privilege talking to you, John, and I can't wait to welcome you to Dignity Health Sports Park. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Can't wait to get out to Southern California. All right, guys, we know you love the Chargers, but you also probably love saving money, too. And Mercury Insurance can help you with that because Chargers fans save an average of $769 with Mercury. That'll get you great seats to the next game and jerseys for the whole family, too. So what are you waiting for? Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com to see how much you could save. It only takes a few minutes to switch, and it could save you a lot of money. Don't wait. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. Savings info based on 2019 California Department of Insurance rate comparison profile 38A. Individual savings may vary. Don't miss a minute of action with the official LA Chargers mobile app. Follow real-time stats, watch your favorite Bolts programming, and live local Chargers games all season long. Download today at chargers.com slash app. Geographic and device restrictions apply. Local and primetime games only. Data charges may apply. All right, now joined by Spiro Ditas of CBS Sports. 
Spiro, the preseason television voice of the Chargers, didn't take you long to find yourself back in L.A. How are you, man? Good, good, Chris. It's uh, nice to get a home game. I don't have to get on the plane for a week, and uh, this time of year, so it's nice. That's great, man. Well, if the last two weeks are any indication, I was just talking to you, you had Seahawks, Bengals in week one. I think that was a one-point game. And then you had Titans, Colts last week, a two-point game. We may be in for a close one in Carson. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's nice to get some competitive games. You know, like we said, you, you do these games every year, and we're so fortunate. You know, it's such a – there's nothing quite like being in an NFL booth on a Sunday, and then when the games are close and competitive, it just uh, – it takes it to another level. So, hopefully, you know, this is a big game for both of these teams. It seems like we say that every week, but, you know, there's there's such importance during a 16-game season for for these clubs that are hoping to contend and, and certainly both of these teams are, are hoping to be there at the end well Spiro, you were up close and personal with this team during the exhibition season what's been your takeaway from how the chargers have played the last two weeks based on what you saw through august and beginning of september well you know when we started to look at what this team was going to look like this season uh, before training camp started obviously you know based on what we saw last year which i thought in a lot of ways, it was kind of a renaissance year for the franchise. You know, to, to get close to a postseason berth two years ago um, when Anthony Lynn took over to then last year taking that next step, you know, you just expect the team now to continue in its development. But the Chargers are, were in a tricky position, and they still are. You know, here is a team that, you know, a lot of the experts feel like is a true contender to challenge uh, for the AFC crown, yet they had some really key issues at some – very important positions. And I think it starts with left tackle. And I think that that's kind of reared its ugly head already. Um, you know, with Russell Okung, no one still knows kind of what his status is going to be. We know he's going to miss the first half of the season. Um, and, you know, when you've got a quarterback who's 37, and I know Phillip Rivers is, is Mr. Durability, you know, left tackle is just such a huge position, not just in the past game, but also in the running game as well. So you've got a left tackle question mark that I think is going to loom over this team until Okung is ready to come back. And and also, obviously, the running back position with the holdout of Melvin Gordon. Um, I think Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson have given them tremendous value considering what they make and what they count against the uh, salary cap. But, you know, now you've got the injuries in the secondary, you know, of, of, of area of this defense that has gone from being a huge strength now to suddenly – being extremely thin and so you know this is what life in the NFL is like you know you go from one week or one season up everything seems to be going your your way and now suddenly Anthony Lynn and his staff have to really answer some tough questions and then figure some things out on the fly here. I tell you Spirit that's when roster building comes in because obviously you can't replace a Hunter Henry or a Derwin James or a Russell Kuhn I mean we, we've seen Austin and Justin really have a remarkable first two weeks of the season but I think that's when roster building comes into play and what Tom Telesco and company have done with this kind of next man up mentality. Every team's going to have injuries, but it just seems like the Chargers have been hit maybe a little harder than most teams this early. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you're Melvin Gordon right now, you know, you seem to be losing leverage by the day. And and this is why I think, and I agree with a lot of the experts who kind of specialize in the financial part of the NFL and roster building, you just, you know, it's so hard to tie up that much salary with with a running back. And, and we all know how talented Melvin Gordon is. You know, he's proven it. He's he's a durable back. He gives you everything he can. Um, certainly he's missed some games the last couple of years, but he puts his body on the line every week. So it's it's hard to 
to, to say that he doesn't deserve what he wants, but I, I just don't know how you do that. I, I think with, with the Rams and, you know, now with the Cowboys, with the, uh, with the uh, contract that Ezekiel Elliott signed a couple of weeks ago, you know, very few teams can tie up that kind of salary into one player, especially at that position. You know, you look at so many running backs around the league. We had Chris Carson, you know, week one in Seattle. You know, this guy's a seventh-round pick who's giving you tremendous value and you get it a financial bargain. And now as the season goes on and these injuries start to pile up, you know, you have to be in a position financially where you can have some flexibility and, and, and make some signings and, you know, change around your roster. I'm just not sure you can do that when you've tied up so much salary. Uh, to a player at a position that, you know, has, has really evolved the last couple of years. And, you know, you can find guys who can contribute. But, you know, Tom Telesco has, has rebuilt this roster incredibly well. The infrastructure has improved dramatically. But now these are the moments that really put that to the test. You, you know, when you lose multiple guys in the secondary and, and the injuries that they've had on the defensive side of the football. So, you know, this is where they're going to have to get creative and, and figure some things out because this is not a team that, that wants to let this season go. I mean, this is a team that's built to win now. Obviously, Phillip Rivers' window is, is getting closer and closer to coming to an end at some point. Um, and so they really want to try to figure this out. Well, the defense, when you give up 13 points, you should probably win the football game. And they play pretty well. Couple that with two interceptions by Rayshon Jenkins and Casey Hayward. But Again, you lose Darwin James's replacement in Adrian Phillips, who's really kind of the heart and soul of that special teams and a, a leader on that defense. Uh, again, mm. we talk about next man up, Roderick Teamer, whether it's Nazir Adderley, the second-round pick, Jalen Watkins. All these guys are going to be tested, Spiro. Um, but at the same time, when you have Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa, you can get a pass rush, makes that secondary that much better. Yeah, you know, and, and and it's amazing. You know, you look at a guy like Roderick Teamer who's been dealing with a hamstring injury. Suddenly, you know, he's not only going to be asked to play, he may even be their starter, you know, one of the safety positions this week. It's just incredible the fluctuations that we see week to week. And and I'm not convinced that we're not going to see Nasir Adderley play some considerable snaps. I know that Anthony Lynn has really been cautious in, in some of his comments to the media, but, you know, you were in Santa Clara for that last preseason That's game right. as I was, and we saw Adderley, and granted, doing this in the last preseason game against guys who are, you know, for the most part, not even going to be on an NFL roster. But, you know, talent is talent. And, you know, in the booth that day, watching the Sierra Adderley fly around and, and have just an incredible range in the back end of that secondary, you know, they're going to need him to play and they're going to need him to contribute um, with the injuries that they have. They just don't have enough guys to be able to keep a guy you know, who you use the high pick to get in the second round um, to keep him on ice. And he's, I think these next couple of weeks is going to be thrown into the mix and it's going to be exciting to see what he can do. But, you know, again, you mentioned Bosa and Ingram. This is where these guys have to earn their paycheck and, and really kind of hide some of the deficiencies and some of the injuries that they have on the back end of that, uh, of that secondary. And they'll face a Houston offense, Spiro. You've been able to get to Deshaun Watson a little bit. Uh, he, I think, was sacked over 60 times last year. Uh, what's the mm. biggest challenge that that Houston offense poses to the Chargers defense? Uh, if, if you can get to Watson, I think that's a big key. Yeah, it's amazing how much of a pounding this guy has taken. And, and you know, in light of the Andrew Luck situation, you know, a, a franchise that just could never seem to build an offensive line around its young franchise quarterback, and we saw how that thing panned out. Um, Houston's kind of in the same boat, and I think that's why – you know, while all the fans and the media kind of panned the Laramie Tunsil deal 
uh, everything that they gave, gave up to get him. I think that was the desperation of the franchise that realizes, well, we've got to protect this guy. Yeah. You know, 62 times he was sacked last year. That's an incredibly high number. He's been sacked at least four times in eight straight games. That that just can't happen when you've invested so much. And, and you know, you've got a guy who's that skilled and that talented who, you know, you hope is going to be the face of your franchise for at least a decade. you got to protect him. And, um, and I, I think now, especially with Bill O'Brien kind of the head of their personnel until they figure out a long-term general manager, you know, Bill O'Brien wants, you know, he doesn't want to think about the future. He's trying to win now, especially considering he's the head coach of the team. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough spot. You know, you've got a guy who can do so many things on the field. You've got to be able to protect him. And this is, you know, this is a week that uh, Bill O'Brien is, is staying up all, at night trying to figure out how he's going to contend with, with these edge rushers that, uh, that the Chargers are going to be coming with. And if Watson does get the ball out of his hands, it'll likely be to DeAndre Hopkins and company. Uh, what do you think the biggest challenge is for this Chargers secondary? Not only stopping Hopkins, but you have a speedster in Will Fuller. Kenny Stills is there as well. you got some playmakers on the outside for Watson. Yeah, I got it. If there was ever a week that uh, Anthony Lynn and, and Gus Bradley were hoping to take on a, a team that didn't have a prolific passing attack, this would be it, you know, yeah. with the injuries that they have. And this can be a huge challenge for Gus Bradley's defense. We've seen how creative he's been with his staff over the last couple of years. You know, he's really retooled this defense, and it's been fun to watch. But, you know, this is one of those weeks that they really have to scheme up and then, you know, put their guys in a position to win. I'm just not sure how you can do it. I, I think it'll start with the pass rush. They've got to be able to get Watson out of the pocket, um, try to keep him contained, and then, you know, force him to make some tough throws because, you know, we've seen DeAndre Hopkins, how incredibly talented he is. I mean, he's right up there with – with all the pass catchers that we have in the sport, the great ones. And, uh, you know, Fuller is, is, a, is a guy with a lot of speed. He can really get down the field and, and burn you um, because of the attention that I think Hopkins gets. And now you're throwing Kenny Stills into the mix. Kenny Stills is your number three wide receiver. you got a pretty good group. And, uh, and that's certainly where Houston is at this point. So there's a lot of really interesting parts of this game. And uh, we're looking forward to Sunday. It should be fun. Spiro, when we talk about Phillip Rivers, just flipping it to the Chargers offense, and we see Big Ben go out for the year, and Eli get benched. Um, I, I know that you've called these games, and Phillip hasn't played much in the exhibition, but just your appreciation for just the toughness that this guy has displayed over 17 NFL seasons. He's such a throwback. You know, it's one of the great parts of, of the year to do the Chargers preseason games and to be able to sit with him and kind of pick his brain and, and see how he sees the game at this stage of his career. The great thing about Phillip, you know, he, he, you look at his numbers. I mean, he's, he's at the top of, of so many uh, of the quarterback statistical categories. And, and that's all well and good, you know, for, for all the stats guys out there. But it's just it's refreshing to see a guy like him at this stage of his career, you know, 37 years old. He's been doing this so many years. Um, hard to think he's been the starter since 2006. And, and this week he's going to pass Eli for consecutive games started. But. You know, you listen to him talk. There's nothing that he cares about at this stage than winning mm. and, and doing it in the postseason. And, and that's why I think last year the way it ended was so bitter for him because he really felt like that team had a chance and he finally had a chance to break through. It's the one thing that's evaded him in his career. And, and he knows as well as anyone else, you know, when his career is said and done, to really put his career up with, with the all-time greats, he's going to have to have a little bit more success in the postseason, and um, it's just fun to watch. You know, it's fun to watch a guy who cares about nothing else aside from winning, and um, 
he's still playing at a high level. You know, it's incredible. I remember, God, maybe maybe five six years ago, he had he had I think it was 2011 where he had a, a little bit of a downturn in his career, mm-hmm. and there were already people whispering, you know, uh, you know maybe Philip Rivers is on the back end. My God, you know, he he was able to kick it into another gear, and he's been playing at such a high level, and it's uh, it's incredible to see. You know, these guys take such a beating at that position and to be 37 and to still be playing at this level is, uh, is pretty fascinating. You know, Sparrow, when coach Lynn got here in 2017, I feel like Philip, there's more of an emphasis on maybe not turning the football over and not trying to do too much. And sometimes when Philip got in trouble it's because the chargers were down in games and he had to kind of make something happen. When you have playmakers mm-hmm. and you have a running game and you have chemistry with guys like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and, and Hunter, when he's in there, I almost feel like Philip can trust these guys because he's played with them and he's got some playmakers not only in the backfield but also on the outside yeah I think it's one of the you, you bring up a good point with Anthony I think it's one of the areas where he really looked and and studied upon taking the job in 2017 you know how can I help a guy who's already a franchise quarterback and is so great and I think Lynn quickly realized you know let's let's strengthen the running game let's get the offensive line figured out you know with with the pounding that Philip had taken for for a number of years and you know, Melvin Gordon starts to come into his own. Um, the offensive line is retooled last year with guys like Mike Pouncey being brought in and, and Okung. And and I think it's kind of added a couple of years to the back end of Phillips' career. Um, you know, it's something that needed to be addressed, and it has. And, you know, we were there for, for the Mike McCoy years. You know, Mike, a really brilliant offensive mind. You know, a lot of respect for, for his game planning and his play calling abilities, but there was something missing um, during those years. And the attitude adjustment that the franchise has undertaken since Anthony walked in the door, uh, at least from my perspective, has just been incredible. You know, everything changed. Um, there is such a toughness. There's such a respect. He gets up in the front of the room and instantly has the respect of every guy in that locker room you know, because of the career he's had. You know, he was a grinder as a player had to work for everything he got and, and the same uh, as a coach, you know, he had to wait a number of years to get an opportunity to be a head coach. And those are the guys that, that players in the league relate to and respect. And, um, you know, we've seen him prove himself in game as a coach with the chances he took last year, the two point conversion in Kansas city. I mean, his street cred skyrocketed after that decision and uh, he's, he's pushed all the right buttons and, it's going to be really interesting to see how he navigates through where this team is right now with the injuries, key guys that are missing that we mentioned, you know, it's, it's going to be really fun the next couple of weeks. And this is where I think he leans on two guys that have been head coaches on his staff, you know, Ken Wisenhunt and, and obviously Gus Bradley guys that can really kind of help him navigate through some of these tough decisions that he has to make. That's a great point. And you lose an NFC game. You got five AFC games in a row, starting with the Texans on Sunday And we'll see you there, Spiro. Really looking forward to seeing you and always appreciate the time, man. Great insight. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks, man. All right, time for a little week three NFL pick'em here with CBS Sports senior writer Will Brinson. Will is the host of the Pick Six podcast, a daily podcast. You must subscribe to it. Will, how you doing, brother? Doing well, Chris. Uh, I just got uh, somebody just tweeted me a picture of uh, myself matched up with Daniel Jones. Eli Manning and the uh, the guy with the swoopy brown hair from the Lego movie <laughs> reminding me that I'm the, apparently the most uh, Caucasian human on the planet. Are you starting against the Buccaneers on Sunday? Is that the question? 
No, but I would definitely hang out at a bar with Eli Manning and Daniel Jones. They look, uh, no, no, no I, I'm not. They get to go with the rookie. I like it. Although uh, rookie quarterbacks on the road in their first start have not exactly been a, a profitable bunch when it comes to, to winning the game. That's right. That's right. Well, we'll see what happens with Daniel Jones. If preseason was any indication, you know, hopefully he has a good debut. But, Will, I have, I have six games for you, buddy, in honor of the Pick 6 podcast. Right. First of all, how's the Pick 6 podcast going? Uh, it's going great. We're uh, we're actually having a very successful month. People people apparently enjoy it, which is uh, I've always I'm always surprised and thrilled, Chris. And people enjoy something that I do for a living. And uh, we we got to kind of getting into getting into grind. We do seven episodes a week. It's daily, but we do seven episodes a week because we do a, a Thursday night preview and a Monday night preview. Try and break down the game from a you know break down football from a uh, you know every angle. You know, whether it's fantasy, game, you know, uh, sports betting, whatever it is, you know, and uh, but also deliver a little bit of mirth. You know, we don't want to, we don't football is not too serious. So a little bit of mirth with our with our football on the Pick Six podcast. Why not? Well, you know what? If you're a Chargers Weekly listener, this is a great compliment to Chargers Weekly. And well, what I thought would be fun was pick six games, and I tried to pick the six biggest games and the ones that affect the Chargers the most as well. And we'll start with Ravens at Chiefs, probably the game of the week. Ravens, you can argue whether or not they've been tested at Miami versus Arizona. Uh, the Chiefs' home opener, and what can you say about Patrick Mahomes, man? Man, I know this is a this is a future. It's like it's like hopping in a hopping in a Tesla for a test drive, right? You get to find out what the future is by watching Mahomes and and Lamar Jackson play each other. A couple of things I think are interesting about this game. You know, one, we saw Lamar get to play Mahomes last year, uh, and, and the Ravens took him to overtime in Kansas City. So. I'm a little surprised that the Chiefs are considered such a, a heavy favorite in this game. I think the Ravens have looked fantastic on offense, and I, I don't think the Chiefs are going to slow them down. You know, we, we don't expect I – mean, Kansas City defense has been better, but it's not. I don't think it's good enough to stop this Ravens offense. I think we could see some points in this game. I wouldn't be surprised at that, uh, but I, I w- also wouldn't be surprised if – Maybe they use Mark Ingram, Lamar Jackson, run a lot out of shotgun, use a lot of zone read stuff, uh, use those tight ends in the short yardage areas to try and really clog up the game and force Patrick Mahomes to try and rush himself a little bit, take away possessions from him. So I could see that happening, and I actually think that's how it's going to play out. And I like the Ravens to steal a win how about that? against the Chiefs this game. I know, big-time upset. I think Lamar Jackson shocks the world against Patrick Mahomes. You know, I think we'll also see as the weeks progress just how big of a loss Tyreek Hill is. And so far, so good for the Chiefs, right? Whether it's Sammy Watkins or Robinson or or the rookie, they've been able to kind of spread the ball around. But I think at some point, the loss of Tyreek Hill may catch up to the Chiefs just a little bit. Yeah, and let's not forget, too, like the Chiefs have played, quote-unquote, tougher opponents. But, I mean, they had guys, they, you know, Patrick Mahomes threw four touchdown passes in the second quarter against Oakland. They had guys running free. And this Jacksonville defense just doesn't look like it's going to be that elite unit we saw uh, a few years ago when they made that AFC Championship game run. All right, speaking of the Raiders, they go to Minnesota, coming off a loss to the Chiefs. Vikings, they were getting worked by the Packers. Uh, came back late in that game, but it wasn't enough. What do you see here in Minnesota, Raiders, Packers, AFC versus NFC? I think I see my prediction that Dalvin Cook would lead the NFL in rushing. I made that before the season. I think I see it come a little bit closer to fruition. Mike Zimmer's made it very clear that he prefers to run the ball instead of having Kirk Cousins pass it. They're down 21 nothing, and Kirk Cousins they, you know, can't even get to 40 passing attempts. I don't know how that's possible. Yeah. Uh, they lean on Dalvin Cook in a big way. They don't overuse him, but they lean on him. And he's so explosive in this zone read 
scheme that he operated at Florida State now that Gary Kubiak's come in to work with Kevin Stefanski. And I think he's going to have a big day against this, this Raiders defense. It's an improved Raiders defense. I'm just not quite there yet. I'm believing they can stop everybody. Uh, losing Jonathan Abrams is a big loss in terms of stopping the run, having a, a thumper come down there and, and take care of business. And, and I also think, too, Minnesota has one of the best home field advantages in the league, Chris. And I, I fully expect uh, Derek Carr and that Raiders offense that looked okay early on but then struggled against the Chiefs defense to have a long day at the office in Minnesota. I was going to ask you, the Raiders, you know, they had the impressive Monday night win in week one, looked really good in the first quarter. So, like, the first five quarters of the season, you look at this Raiders team, like, wow, they, they look markedly improved. What are your thoughts on what the Raiders are in 2019 as opposed to what they were last year? I think they're better. They've improved. But I, I really think, you know, a lot of times you look at those weak, it was week one, late night, Monday night football games, starting you know, sort of ten thirty on the East Coast. Where it feels all, I mean, you know, for you West Coast elite, it feels you know you're fine. It's nice and early for us. For us East Coasters, you feel like you're you're tilting already. You feel like you're at a casino um, when you're watching Monday night football at, at one a.m. Uh, Eastern time. And so I, weird stuff just happens at those games. So I don't I don't look too much into it. That was a, clearly a team motivated by the loss of Antonio Brown and trying to sort of show out at home. And I think they feed off the, the black hole, but I don't know that they can, they can make it happen away from home. And they've got a ton of road games, a ton of tough games against tough defenses coming up. And I think people are going to figure them out, stack the box against uh, Josh Jacobs. And as good as Tyrell Williams is, you know, they don't have that, that guy that can just open things up the way they wanted Antonio Brown to do. Derek Carr doesn't challenge down the field enough. I, I think the Raiders are going to struggle to get to seven wins this year. All right, well, another AFC West team, the Broncos at the Packers. Broncos 0-2, Packers 2-0. Vic Fangio looking for win number one. I guess a pretty familiar opponent in the Packers. Yeah, you know, he's done a pretty good job of coaching up Aaron Rodgers in the past. I, I, don't, I don't see a whole lot of points in this game, Chris. I mean, this is the, you know, you got the, the Broncos who, but look, I know people like to beat on Joe Flacco. He looked, he looked good against the, against the Bears defense. He was winging it around. The last five, six quarters for him, I think it'd been pretty good. If Deshaun Hamilton catches that ball uh, in, in the first game against the Raiders, uh, and then the Bears don't get that the roughing the passer call on, on Bradley Chubb, and they don't get the, the timeout granted when Allen Robinson gets down at the end, uh, the Broncos could easily be 2-0. and I, I'm still buying into Denver being a better team than people think. The defense doesn't have a single sack this year, which is crazy. So I expect Bob Miller and Bradley Chubb to show out against Aaron Rodgers. I think this, is, I think this has upset potential because of Fangio's performance or his defensive, defensive performances against Aaron Rodgers in the past, I would probably pick the Packers, but I think it'll be a very close game and would not be surprised at all if Denver came out of Green Bay with a win. I'm just looking at this slate, man. There's so many good games in week three. I mean, I go back from good last week, week to this yeah, week. It's sure. a really good week, right? Uh, Falcons at Colts. The Colts, Chargers went to overtime with the Colts in week one. Falcons coming off a win on Sunday night against the Eagles. What do you see here, Will? Yeah, you guys saw this. Colts team up close and personal, it's right? A it's team. a good Colts team. It's a really good team. It's Jacoby Brissett. I mean, he's not the best NC State quarterback in the NFL. We'll get to the, but we'll might get be to the, the best one a little bit later, Will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But I mean, he might be the second, right? It depends on what you do with Russell Wilson. He might be the second one. Maybe he's the third one. Um, he's Look, I think he's a better quarterback than people gave him credit for. And I said that before the season. I still believe it now. He's not going to go out and put up 450 passing yards every game. Um, but Frank Wright is a great coach. 
they love to run behind Quentin Nelson, who's just a mauler. He's like a dancing bear uh, at the at the left guard position. Uh, they love to put Marlon Mack behind him. I'm not sure the Falcons can slow down this offense. And uh, I like the Colts to sort of run away with this. And the other big factor that I'd be concerned about, Matt Ryan, yeah, I know he got the win, and they had that great pass to Julio Jones. And I think Julio can have a good day. They're in a dome. It's, it's a great spot for them, you know, from you know, from a uh, atmospheric you know perspective. But I just don't know that uh, that offensive line is doing a very good job of protecting Matt Ryan right now. And I think he's going to be under more pressure again against the Colts. I like the Colts to ru- uh, run away in this game. You know, the NFC South is such an interesting division now because you have the 0-2 Panthers, you have the Falcons who, you know, you, you said it, you know, Matt Ryan didn't look particularly great on Sunday night. No Drew Brees for the next six weeks. You got the Bucks. You really don't know who the Bucks are. The NFC South, I, I feel like, is, is as up for grabs as really any division. A hundred percent, dude. I mean, look, the Cam Newton's injury, we don't, we don't, we just don't know how long it's going to be, but the foot, foot injuries with rushing quarterbacks tend to, tend to take a while. And it's pretty clear um, that, you know, he's, he's, his mechanics were thrown off by it. He was much more accurate before he re-aggravated the foot in, in that Tampa Bay game. I, I, I think, I don't, I don't think Drew Brees is going to come back and be great right away. I think it's going to take more than six weeks. I mean, it's a hand injury. That's the toughest thing. A throwing hand injury for a quarterback. Yeah. That's so tough. Atlanta just looked a little sloppy. They got it manhandled in week one. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if the Buccaneers stole this division based on the schedule. And uh, But, you know, look, I agree with you. It's wide open. And if some, if you told me in February that somebody won this division at like 7-8-1, I'd believe you. All right. If I told you this a couple of weeks ago, this could be mildly surprising. Steelers of 49ers, the 0-2 Steelers versus the 2-0 49ers. Season couldn't have started worse for Pittsburgh. You lose your quarterback, you lose the first two games of the year. Now you get to go east to west to face a frisky 49ers team. Yeah, it's like, all right, all right we got embarrassed by the Patriots in week one. Things can't go worse than that. Oh, nope, we lost a Hall of Fame quarterback uh, for the season to what amounts to Tommy John after he threw 675 times last year. Maybe maybe people start correlating that injury. Yeah, I, I, I like the Steelers here, actually, because – the, the 49ers being propped up as like a full touchdown favorite, which is, which is a whole lot. I mean, surprising. I think uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has been very good and the defensive line has been very good, but I don't think the defensive line is going to feast the way they did against, um, you know, against Tampa Bay and Cincinnati. Those are much worse offensive lines than what Pittsburgh brings to the table. Mason Rudolph was a really good college quarterback. He's tall, big, tall, strong, can get vertical. I think he'll hook up with James Washington down the field. And I think the Pittsburgh defense will be motivated. The addition to Minka Fitzpatrick, they got to come out and prove something. That they know it's going to be on them. It's going to be inherent incumbent on them to, to make plays, to slow down uh, opposing offenses. Would not be surprised at all if this turned into a shootout because Kyle Shanahan knows how to scheme people open. But I like the, the Steelers to come away with a road win here as a big underdog. A two big upsets. Real quickly, what would you think of the Minka Fitzpatrick trade to Pittsburgh? An interesting trade for, for the Steelers, given how the first two weeks have gone. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think you can explain it like this. If you took Minka Fitzpatrick and dropped him into the 2020 draft class, knowing that he would, of course, have a shorter contract, you know, where would he go? And my, my pal Ryan Wilson, who does, our, uh, who does our draft stuff at CBS Sports, believes he'd be a top 10 pick in that class. So if that's true, if that ends up holding to be true by the end of the season, then, you know, then I, then I don't mind it. But from a perspective of we are 0-2, we have a long uphill battle to make it to the playoffs. We just lost our franchise quarterback. Why don't we trade next year's first round pick? It, it makes no sense at all. I mean, 
you know, it'd be the equivalent of the Chargers losing Phillip Rivers and then and then trading a first round pick. Like you just you don't do it because when you lose that quarterback, even if you believe in the backup in, in Mason Rudolph, and we'll find out what you know the truth about it, but even if you believe in, in the backup, you're still running such a risk that that pick is a top five pick, top two pick, and if that's the case, you know you give out you give away an opportunity to come away with a you know either trading down if Big Ben comes back or picking up a franchise quarterback in the 2020 draft. It is, it is more risk than I would like to take. It's interesting. And the Dolphins just have a, a ton, they have the entire first round, I believe, if you're, if you're counting it home for the 2020 NFL draft, it's insane. Yeah. It's just one Dolphins, two Dolphins, three Dolphins, I mean, yeah. <laughs> 32 Dolphins. All right, Will, final one, Texans at Chargers, Phillip Rivers versus Deshaun Watson. A lot of Clemson guys in this one, Hopkins, Mike Williams, uh, Chargers coming off a, a tough loss in Detroit. I think a number of things, h- had they gone the Chargers' way in that third quarter, they'd probably be 2-0 at this point instead of 1-1. Yeah, I, they, they, Chargers should be 2-0. Um, you know, look, the, the team, you, you know how I feel about the Chargers. I love the Chargers. But uh, they've not always had great September starts. You don't like to see the 1-1. It was a road game. I think the Lions are better than people think, mm-hmm. especially that defense. And that Stafford looks healthy. So, you know, it, it's a tough loss because they could have won it. But that's a toss-up game. I think at the end of the year, we'll look at this not as a, a game they should have won, you know, when we do the schedule before the season, but a game that was actually a toss-up and, and maybe a, a better Lions team than people think. And, and look, they held off a, a, a better Colts team than people think. So this is a big game for them. They need to, they need to make sure they get, um, you know, out of September. I think they want to be 3-1, and one, leaving the month of September. And I tell you what, the guy who's going to be a big factor in this, and he has been in the first two weeks, Austin Eckler. Yep. If you look at the Texans, uh, they allow the seven, uh, eighth most, excuse me, they've allowed the eighth most receiving yards to running backs so far this season. And uh, I think that could continue with Eckler. Talk about a guy who just stepped into this role. You know, you know, look, I feel for Melvin Gordon because he wants to get back on the field and he wants to play. But uh, Austin Eckler is not doing any favors. That guy can carry carry at the goal line. He can, uh, you know, he can, he, nobody in the history, Chris, of the NFL throws a better swing pass than Phillip Rivers. And Austin Eckler is designed to catch those passes and take them a long way. I think he is a, uh, plays another big role in this game. I like the Chargers to, to, to win this one, but I would never put it past Deshaun Watson to, uh, to put together a, a, flurry, a flurry of great passes at the end of a game and make a run and, and make something competitive. We've seen him go toe-to-toe with Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Drew Brees in away games, and I would expect that this will probably be uh, the same sort of scenario where he and Phillip Rivers are winging the ball around late. Chargers fans have a treat in L.A. on Sunday to see Watson versus Rivers. And just to piggyback off the, the Eckler, what about Justin Jackson, too? He's averaging nine yards a pop, and he can catch the ball out of the yeah. backfield. This kind of one-two punch, uh, the fact that they're so versatile, Will, I mean, it, it kind of plays right into Phillip Rivers' hands. He's saying throwing those swing passes. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah, Justin Jackson deserves more pop than he's getting. You're right. I mean, it's like he's, he's, he's running really well, and you get the feeling, like, Obviously, you don't want anything to happen, but like if, if anything did happen to Austin Eckler, Justin Jackson could slide in there and be a guy who delivers for this team on a every carry basis because he can catch out of the backfield and he runs so well behind that offensive line. I mean, they have a, you know, you got to, you got to, look, you got to tip your cap to Tom Telesco. I mean, it's not a, nobody has a perfect roster, but the Chargers have suffered a bunch of injuries or a bunch of losses, whether, you know, Melvin Gordon's holdout, Derwin James's injury. Um, this is a team that, uh, is deep and talented. They lost some offensive linemen too, you know, uh, Russell Okun. They've been able to overcome those losses early on in the season, and that says a lot about your roster when you can come out and win games 
against tough opponents early despite uh, battling all those injuries or all that attrition. No doubt. And the Chargers have five AFC games in a row, so it's going to be important to kind of get on a little bit of a roll here at the beginning of the season. Will Brinson, Will, where can people follow you, man? You're one of my favorite followers on Twitter. Um, promote everything you got going on. I know we talked about the Pick 6 pod, but what else you got going? Yeah, people can go to Apple Podcasts on your little purple thing on your on your on your phone and uh, and download, subscribe to the Pick Six Podcast. Spotify too, if that's your jam. Yeah, uh, check it out there. Stitcher, wherever else, and uh, follow me on Twitter at Will Brinson. And we've got a bunch of uh, you know ton of articles, ton of ton of content up at uh, CBSSports.com. Get that content, Will. Always appreciate it, man. You got it, Chris. Always fun, buddy. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. A big thanks to Will Brinson, John McClain, Spiro Ditas, and Daniel Jeremiah for joining me. And, of course, thanks to you all for listening. Remember, be sure to download and subscribe to the all-new Chargers Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the game on Sunday as the Chargers look to improve to 2-1. and one. And until next time, I'm Chris Harry.